This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett's status, our aim is to help you break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? Why are you laughing? Uh, I just kind of threw in an extra word in there that threw me off a little bit. You didn't, didn't notice it? Didn't notice. Wasn't, Great. Uh, to be honest, wasn't listening. That's the type. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. Well, that's the first time that you haven't started by saying you're really excited for this episode. Well, I am excited. I am I am always excited. Um, take it as a given, but no, this should be a good one. Obviously, it's it can feel tough to get excited about investing if you look at your portfolio at the moment. There's a lot of red. But, Speak for yourself. I'm still very much in the green, but all good. <laughs> <laughs> well, that means you've probably had no gains over the past three years. <laughs> I'm ju- um, just short positions. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the the exciting thing for me and for us um, and hopefully for everyone listening is that if we look back in history, these were the opportunities. These were the moments where people made money. 2000, 2008, 2020, it's when things go on sale. It's when there's an everything must go, 50% off, the manager's crazy and we're selling the store, fire sale. And there's some great opportunities and some great bargains that come along. So I'm reminding myself of that, that I have decades of investing ahead of me and these moments are the moments where you can really supercharge your returns. So that is the mindset that I'm taking to my investing and 
along with that, we've started reading some investor letters. We're starting to look at some individual stocks. Uh, we're starting to do our research and we've pulled out two investor letters uh, that cover 12 companies that we're going to talk about today. That's it, Ren. We, um, I, th- I even think back on the drop that happened in March 2020 with COVID and the missed opportunities in there, getting the afterpay at $9. I did jump on Macquarie bit happy with that one. But, um, <laughs> you know, seeing some of those stocks that were just on absolute fire sale and and missing those opportunities, all good investors learn from their mistakes, reflect on what happened. And even average ones do as well. And even apparently. average ones do like <laughs> us. And you're right, we're in a moment at the time that can feel chaotic and uh, can feel quite daunting and overwhelming. But if you look at it through the right lens, it's an exciting opportunity. Mm. So yeah, you're right. We've got two letters that we're going to look at today and 12 stocks to have a chat about. But before we do very briefly, don't forget that there's plenty of content in the Equity Mates Media Network. We've got The Dive, our newest show, which is our take on business news coming at you three times a week to help you stay informed and up to date with what's going on. Uh, We do a deep dive on one really interesting business topic uh, each episode. And of course, we've got Comedian v Economist, which would be very timely at the moment, given the macro events that are happening. You're in good company. Get started investing. Crypto Curious, talk money to me and meet, pay, love. Wherever you are on your investing journey, whatever your interests are, we've got you covered. Mm. So head to equitymates.com to to learn more about those shows. Yeah. So let's get into the episode today. The two investor letters that we've pulled out. uh, The first is from Greenlight. Um, many people may have heard of David Einhorn. Uh, and then we've pulled out Rowan Street Capital. The reason that we've chosen these two companies is they give us a great spread. Sorry, these two investor letters is they give us a great spread of companies to talk about. Uh, Greenlight talk about a number of companies that I hadn't heard of before. And I'm going to hazard a guess a lot of people haven't heard of before. Green Brick Partners, Bright House Financial, International Seaways, Ryanair, Southwest Energy, Weatherford International. How many of those have you heard of, Bryce? Uh, none of them. Uh, surely Ryan, Ryanair. Ryanair, 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 Ryanair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the Irish discount airline. So that's six companies that w- were sort of new and a little bit out of the, I guess, the main frame of reference here at Equity Mates. And then Rowan Street Capital, they also t- talked about six companies that are very much in the frame of reference. They're the beaten down tech growth stocks. So we thought we'd also talk about this letter. Uh, they've mentioned Spotify, Meta, Trade Desk, DocuSign, Shopify, and Netflix. So we're going to talk about these two letters and in doing so, talk about those 12 companies. Let's start with Greenlight. So David Einhorn, famous investor. Uh, do, do you remember Elon Musk's and his interaction? Yeah, he's the short shorts. Short shorts guy, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Einhorn took out a short position on Tesla. Yep. And to counteract that or to have a crack, Elon Musk made incredibly small satin red short shorts. Yeah, 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 like hot pants, <laughs> hot short pants. shorts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and sent them to him. And sent them to him, yeah. <laughs> Classic. No one shorting Tesla has done well no. over the years. No. Einhorn did not do well. I think he closed out his short position a couple of years ago. So Q1, the letter that they're covering here, Greenlight made 4, 4.5% while the S&P declined 4.5%. So uh, a decent portfolio there. So the structure of the letter, uh, a lot of macroeconomic chat at the top that we'll just cover off quickly and then we'll uh, introduce some of these companies and, t- and talk about them. 
But Einhorn's got jokes. He does have jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to? Yeah, you always get a bit of personality reading these letters. Uh, this I, one, I often think you don't get much personality reading these uh, letters. I feel I, I get a good sense of it. I reckon okay. who they are as okay. investors. Who yeah. are they as investors? Einhorn's a bit of a joker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so he said in here, a lot happened this quarter, culminating in an unexpected bout of violence, which frankly we thought society had evolved beyond, and we would not witness again in our lifetimes. Millions are focused on analysing what Will Smith did. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, you're reading it, you're thinking about Ukraine, Russia war, and then he ends with Will Smith. So well done, Einhorn. Great way to start. But you're right, Ren. Let's start with the the macro. And Both letters actually have a a bit of a chat about macro, but super interesting to get insight on how some of the best investors in the world are thinking about things. And he starts with, of, of course, what's on everyone's lips at the moment, and that is inflation and what the Reserve Bank are doing. Uh, over in the States. A lot of people have um, suggested that the rate at which the Reserve Bank are raising interest rates could lead to demand destruction and then push us into a recession. Einhorn's argument, though, is that inflation is already doing that job for us Mm. by prices going up and destroying demand. We're essentially slowing down the economy. We're spending less on discretionary stuff. And as an impact of that, we're seeing a destruction of demand itself. Mm. So Yeah, and then they move on to say that basically what the Fed's doing isn't enough. And they have this quote um, that the endless debate about raising interest rates by a quarter percent or a half percent with the federal funds target rate still at 0.25% to 0.5% still feels like trying to figure out whether it's best to clear a foot of snow from your driveway with a soup ladle or an ice cream scooper. (laughs) This certainly isn't doing whatever it takes. So they, they look at the the Fed presented something to Congress in February 2021 and it had a, had a number of, I guess, inputs, a number of rules around uh, different levels in the economy, inflation, unemployment, stuff like that, and basically said what an appropriate uh, funds rate would be. And Greenlight have looked at that and they said that an appropriate rate given the rate of unemployment, the rate of inflation, all of that stuff at the moment, 7%. Yeah, it's crazy. Could you imagine interest rates at 7% at the moment? Our stock our stock portfolios would be... <laughs> I, <it'd> be <laughs> anyway, tough. let's not go there. It would be, but man, my term deposits would be killing yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it yeah, would it, probably break the back of Australia's housing market yeah. if interest rates were back at 7%. It would, yeah. yeah. Whether or not the Reserve Bank do everything and do what it takes to get to that point uh, is still, I guess, causing so much uncertainty at the moment. I'm going to very confidently say in the next 18 months, we're not getting to 7%. No. Well, uh, bold prediction for 2023, (laughs) we'll see. (laughs) Make prediction. (laughs) They go on to talk about some of the goods that are really seeing a dramatic increase in prices. Used cars were one, but they're already starting to see a decline they're projecting that uh, inflation over the next year is going to be what five point three percent, and then following year three and a bit percent, three and a half percent. Yeah, so that's not what they're predicting. That's what the market is predicting. Yeah. The inflation swap market. Yeah, not a market that I trade. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, final thing about uh, the macro environment before we get to individual companies. Uh, there's a lot of conversations right now around. Um, like a super profits windfall tax or a super a profit windfall tax. Have you? Do you see BP's result yeah. over in the UK. UK? Yeah, something like nine billion dollars profit in a quarter, like three x up what it was a year ago or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of conversation about 
how do governments tax these windfall profits? Uh, Greenlight criticised that. They say windfall profits are how you get more uh, participants in an industry. So in the oil industry, those profits will incentivize more, uh, like you know, more drilling, more um, more oil being produced, which will actually then help reduce prices because supply and demand. So it's a really interesting macro conversation. We probably haven't done it justice. But let's move on to the main event, which is the individual stocks. Main event. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So they start by talking about their biggest loser for the quarter. It's related to housing. So we figured that's where we should start because everyone loves talking about housing. Green Brick Partners, ticker GRBK. GRBK, company that I've never heard of, but one that was pretty interesting. It fell from uh, $30.33 to $19.76 in the quarter. They were talking about the home building market and a lot of the stocks have been derated because there's fear of a pending collapse in housing over in the States. The American housing market is hot. Same as Australia. Not Australia hot. Like they're still, they're rookie numbers compared to Australia. We're like 15 times average income. They're like, I think six times average income. I think that's pretty similar here, isn't it? I think we're higher. Are we? I thought banks only lent to six. I have no idea. Yeah, anyway. Well, no, no, no. Yeah, they might, but the average income v the average house price could still be different to what you know, what banks are lending to. Yeah. That's why none of us can afford houses. Yeah, true. <laughs> anyway, anyway, why is there fear of a pending housing collapse? Well, we know that house prices have risen drastically over in the States. Interest rates are going up, therefore there's going to be impact on mortgage rates. Sales and new housing starts or building is slowing. And there's an inventory buildup and also cancellations of what I assume to be new building starts is also on the rise. This supposedly means that there's going to be a collapse in housing. Yeah, and that's why a lot of home builders have sold off in the US, but Greenlight have a contrarian view. Mm. They think that uh, all the comparisons to 2008 are wrong Mm. and they compare 2006, which was sort of peak housing bubble, uh, and 2022. So... Existing homes for sale in 2006, three and a half million. Today, 870,000. The 30 year mortgage rate, pretty similar, 6.4% then, 5% now. Higher than I thought it would be. Really? Yeah. Because of the cash rate so low. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, shows what I know about housing. True. We know nothing. <laughs> and yet we're still going to talk about it. Um, but they say that the key difference is so um, in 2006, there were incredibly loose underwriting standards. If you've seen the big short when they go to Miami and they speak to those mortgage brokers down there, have you seen the big short? Yeah, ages ago. Okay. Yeah. It's a good movie. You should watch it. I've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also that home builders were building homes for second homes and a lot for just outright speculation. Whereas in 2022, because of the Great Recession, America has massively underbuilt housing. There's apparently a shortage of around 2 million units at the moment, just like there's not enough houses for people. There's tight underwriting standards. There's minimal speculation. The, in 2006, Greenlight, think of that was a speculative bubble. In 2022, it's a supply, and, it's a supply shortage that's causing prices to run up. So they see it a bit different. But interestingly, also, they talk about inventory building up on home builders' balance sheets. And this is, you know, quarter over quarter, you see more and more value sitting on that balance sheet, which means that there are homes that aren't being sold. Well, that's that's what the market is assuming. 
but it's actually about Americans' inability to build houses mm. at the moment. Mm. And it's basically because supply chains are just cooked and continue to be cooked and the, the labour market is so tight. And so what, it's, what Greenlight is saying is that a lot of houses are getting started but they're not quite getting finished, you know. You can't sell a house if you're still waiting for glass window panes from... Yeah, there's no from... kitchen sink. Exactly, yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, all this building, a lot of this build-up of in- inventory isn't finished houses that can't get sold. Yeah. It's houses that just can't get finished. Can't get can't get across the line. Which I think is, like, a really interesting, you know, the market and green light are looking at the same numbers on a balance sheet, but doing different work and coming to very different conclusions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. love it. Love to see it. All right, well, let's move on to uh, we've spoken a lot about interest rates and uh, a company that Greenlight believe will benefit from rising interest rates is Bright House Financial, BHF. There are paragraph opens when they're speaking about this. Paragraph opens with speaking of rising interest rates, it is difficult to find a company that we think benefits more from rising rates than Bright House Financial. Now, Bright House is a, a life insurer, and um, have a bunch of annuity products from memory, unless I've got that wrong. Did you Google it? Yeah, I Googled it on the walk into work this morning. Yeah, largest provider of annuities and life insurance. Yeah, 219 nice. billion in total assets. Yeah, great. So um, a big life insurer and the company has been really beaten down by the low interest rate environment of the past decade. I've got a quote here from Goldman Sachs. Well, from the letter, Goldman Sachs estimate that the interest rate increase just through the end of March will add $2 billion to BHF's distributable earnings over the next five years. That would seem significant compared to BHF's entire equity market cap of $4 billion. $2 billion would equate to about $26 per share. So, yeah, if you're thinking about companies that are going to do well, Greenlight obviously believe that Bright House Financial is right in that sweet spot to be able to take advantage of rising interest rates. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So a few other companies that we'll just touch on quickly that we thought were interesting in the letter for different reasons. Uh, Greenlight uh, wrote about International Seaways, INSW, owner and operator of oil tankers and product carriers. Now, there's just some interesting dynamics here. So... Demand for oil fell during the pandemic. Do you remember when yep, uh, oil negative. went negative? Yeah. yeah. God, it feels like so long ago. Well, now like oil companies ago. are ripping record profits. Yeah. Jeez. Missed it. Stress. <laughs> it would be a stressful work environment being in the, being an oil executive, I reckon. Yeah. Constant up and down. Constant. Anyway. <laughs> so because of demand for oil falling off a cliff, um, there was a prolonged period of low charter rates for tankers. If no one wanted to buy oil, no one needed to charter tankers to move oil. Makes sense. Um, And that just meant that tankers weren't being built. But now oil is absolutely ripping. It is The price is so high. There are no shipyard slots available for construction of new tankers for several years into the future. So because they underbuilt, there is now such a backlog that just getting oil to consumers there's not enough capacity. Yeah, I found this really interesting. I love thinking about all this, the dynamics between everything being so interrelated. It just, it fascinates me that like for a couple of years because of the pandemic, we didn't build anything and now we've created a backlog of several years. (laughs) It just shows how like bottlenecks work and how, you know, when we have like just-in-time inventory and we're building things and then all of a sudden that gets disrupted, 
you're gone. A few like a few months delay can lead to a few years. Yeah, yeah. Or a few months shutdown can lead to a few years delay. Business opportunity. Go out and create a couple of shipyards. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> All right, Next let's, company. <laughs> let's move on. Ryan Air Holdings discount Irish. <laughs> Yeah, Are they Irish? Irish? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Discount Irish airline. We've all flown it if we've been to Europe, I would imagine. I haven't been to Europe. We haven't been to Europe, so but Ryanair gets, gets you from one country to another for a few euros. It is the largest low price European airline. And during the pandemic, they really expanded on its low cost industry leading position by taking the opportunity to upgrade planes, improving fuel efficiency and reducing a lot of the costs that it experiences at airport level. And another thing they've done, so they've, uh, according to Greenlight, they've created a competitive advantage by hedging near-term fuel prices. Uh, and I found that interesting um, because we spoke to Adam Dawes mm, mm. Uh, for ASX Week about a week ago now. Uh, and in his buy, hold and sell episode, he was speaking about Qantas and how a lot of their hedging runs out on the 30th of June. Yeah, about to come off. Yeah. yeah. And he thinks that's that's going to have an impact on their share price and on their profits and all of that. And it's just such an important thing. Obviously, oil prices are incredibly high that the airlines that have properly hedged higher prices, have protected themselves from higher prices, are just going to have such an advantage um, going forward. Yeah, it's. I'd love to um, spend a day in the part of the organisation that looks after all of that because it'd be it'd be fascinating. You talk yeah. about the stress of an oil executive. Well, seeing what's going on in in, in the hedging department of Qantas yeah, for yeah, oil. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so at Coles, we had like uh, it wasn't on the same level at all. But you know, like every business, every business that consumes a lot of electricity is looking at electricity prices yep. and thinking about what's our exposure to the spot market. How do we buy forward? How do we hedge? It is a fascinating world to be a part of. Mm. All right. Well, we'll keep moving. Southwestern Energy, the ticker is SWN. Now, we know there's so much going on in the energy market at the moment, given what is happening over in uh, Russia and the Ukraine. Southwestern Energy is the second largest producer of natural gas in the US. Now, why is this uh, an appealing stock? We know that Europe it now intends to reduce its reliance on Russian gas. We've actually done an episode on the dive, if you want to go and listen to that in more detail. And uh, by nature of that, it's looking to increase its use of uh, the US LNG. And mm. this is where Southwestern Energy comes into play. And I think for me, the, the conversation around gas is such a conversation around infrastructure because the European gas story is a story of pipelines, mainly at the moment. Yeah. Um, and Germany, for example, has a number of pipelines that pipe gas into their country. It has been really difficult for them to substitute because they don't have any LNG terminals in their mm. country. They're building mm. some now, but LNG is liquefied natural gas. It's how the Americans export a lot of their gas. It's how Australia exports yep. a lot of its gas. Um, it's how, is it Qatar in the Middle East? Which yep. is a big, yeah. Yep. So, um, but Russia uses pipelines because they're on continental Europe with a lot of the consumers. So uh, Russia obviously has some LNG, but now Germany to take this LNG is building terminals. And so Greenlight are looking at the infrastructure being built and seeing an opportunity for US gas producers. So another interesting one, just a, a really interesting, I guess, infrastructure story that goes along with these producers. Mm. It's not like 
I guess oil you still pipeline or ship like it's it's not that different. No, really. no. It's just you need more. Yeah, maybe need more specialized infrastructure to for LNG. But I actually don't know if you need. I actually don't know. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of oil, Ren, the final one for um, Greenfields, Weatherford International. Green du- light. Green, <laughs> green light. <laughs> Greenfields. Uh, Weatherford International, WFRD is the ticker. Now they're um, in the picks and shovels of the oil industry. They provide drilling tools and other products and services um, required to produce oil and gas. Interestingly, they went bust in 2019. They went bankrupt, but they've since restructured, got better management, reduced a lot of their debt, increasing their cash flow and uh, become an attractive investment opportunity. Bankruptcy is never the end. You can always restructure your way out of it and that's what they've done. I was going to say it's the end for the directors though, isn't it? If you're a director, you can't run a company for like, here in Australia anyway. If you go bankrupt. I'm pretty sure if you declare bankruptcy, you're out. I could be completely wrong here and confusing things. That feels like- Maybe it's personal bankruptcy. I don't know. Yeah, personal bankruptcy makes more sense because I feel like we should be encouraging entrepreneurship. We should be encouraging people to go bankrupt. (laughs) Well, no, we should be encouraging people to take risk knowing that not every risk will pay off. Yeah. So if it's like, oh, you were a director of a startup and you failed and went bankrupt, therefore you can't be a director of another company for five years, that like from a policy design point of view, that doesn't make sense. So it must be personal because if you're currently bankrupt, you're not legally allowed to direct a company. Okay, if you're currently bankrupt. So it must be personal. Must be. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's not, that's going to be an issue that we're going to take to our <laughs> Well, I mean, seriously. Anyway, look, anyway let's keep going. Keep let's go back yeah. to Greenlight. So uh, there's six companies that they wrote about in the letter. And um, if you guys want to read the letter, we'll include it in the show notes. Um, and we're also going to try and find a way to house more of these on our website. That's um, That might not be something that we have up and running by the time this episode's out, but it's a priority for us to try and share this stuff with more of the Equity Mates community. But my overall takeaways, no tech stocks, number one. Mm. (laughs) You can make money outside of the uh, most spoken about area of the market. That's probably an important reminder for the two of us as well. A lot of energy focus. So Mm. uh, an an operator of oil tankers, a natural gas producer, a global oil field services company, and an airline that is in its best, has hedged its oil exposure. So- that energy price story is really shines through in a lot of uh, what Greenlight are writing about and watching and thinking about investing in. What about you? Any key takeaways? I'd probably just expand on the energy. It's it's very clear that they've put in some thought and are really trying to uh, take advantage of some structural tailwinds here, and 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 that is certainly in energy prices. It's a lot of a lot to do with what's going on with. Uh, inflation and a lot of the geopolitics overseas. So, yeah, obviously active investors and putting a lot of work into understanding these, like if you think about what they did with the housing market and coming up with that contrarian view as well, it is a good reminder that we should definitely look more broadly beyond tech stocks, yeah. which the, we're about to have a chat about I know, in a I know. second. So uh, <laughs> as we always like to say, investor letters are a great place to start your research. They uncover companies that... Uh, other people have done the work on to add to your watch list and there's six there. Obviously, this is the start of your research process rather than the end of it. Greenlight aren't going to write us a letter and tell us when they're selling or when their thesis has changed. So give the letter a read. Great place to start your research 
and then eventually come to your own decisions and your own views about these companies. But Bryce, let's take a quick break and then talk about six companies where everyone seems to have a view because they're companies that we use all the time, Spotify, Meta, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> uh, but before then, quick break to hear from our sponsors. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, Ren, you, you mentioned Spotify, Meta, et cetera, et cetera. So let's have a crack at um, unpacking Rowan Street's Q1 2022 investor yeah. letter. And before we do, Spotify fell another 10% overnight. I know. Can it chill out? <laughs> Did you Magellan, know- I'm getting burnt on. Spotify, I'm getting burnt on. <laughs> Did you know that mathematically can't. Spotify could fall 10% every day for the rest of time? Yeah. What? what? (laughs) Well, it's just like you can if you fall ten percent every day, you never get to zero. Yeah, that's just maths. Yeah, it was just a joke. (laughs) I know. I know. Anyway, Rowan Street, they're a growth fund. They uh, they open the letter firstly with um, a quote that I really think we should remind ourselves, and they say, "Remember, we are not in the game of minimizing volatility." We are not traders, we're not hedges, we're not market timers or renters of stock. We are strictly business owners and compounders of capital. And just like Bet Jeff Bezos, Reese Hastings, Mark Zuckerberg or Elon, Elon Musk have never sold when the stock of Amazon, Netflix, Facebook or Tesla has declined by 25 or 50% and have always focused exclusively on the long-term fundamentals of their businesses, you should expect us to do the same with our portfolio companies. I think that's just a great way of summarizing how we should be thinking about the opportunities ahead of us. Nice. Yes. But anyway, they also talk about the fact that their stock in their their fund in 2019 was up 28% and in 2020 it was up 65%. We're going to get this is a long run up to the butt, but <laughs> y- y- we all know the butt is coming. So get there. But the na- <laughs> in 2019 the Nasdaq was up 39%. So they didn't. Oh, they didn't, that's a good shout. They didn't yeah. outperform the market despite having a co- concentrated fund of growth stocks. So they underperformed by eleven percent in two thousand and nineteen. They did outperform in twenty twenty sixty five percent versus uh, the Nasdaq forty six percent. But you, I feel like you always just got to remind yourself when they put these numbers up. You just got to check where where that sits relative because th- these letters at the same time are a bit of a. A sell. It's a pump-up. It's a sell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, And uh, also you've got to ask before fees or after fees. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, the other but, Ren, is that they're down 28% at the moment. There we go. That's <laughs> the big but. Yeah. And um, look, I agree. The quote is great and the past couple of years have been great performers. 
But every growth manager who talks about finding unbelievable growth stocks and compounding their capital over a long period of time is having to front up their to their investors with a big butt at the moment. And it just reminds me how lucky we are as retail investors that we don't have to report to anyone and that we have no risk of, you know, we have no career risk because we underperform for a quarter or two. We're not going to get promoted or get a bonus or anything. That doesn't matter. And we have no redemption risk. We don't have wealthy investors knocking on our door and saying, why are you underperforming? We're going to pull our money away from you. Us as retail investors, the one advantage we have is that we can be long-term in a way even <laughs> long-term professional investors can't be. Yeah, well, I mean, they say they're long-term capital compounders and that yet their time horizon is three to five years. Yeah, so, and they have to report quarterly have, yeah, so, because the, their investors expect that from them. Yeah. Whereas we can shut our computers and go outside and not look at the market. Yeah. Yeah. So, Ren, despite being down um, 28% from the beginning of the year, they think they are in a stronger position than they have ever been before since its inception seven years ago. So pretty bold claim there. Their philosophy for investing, very, very concentrated portfolio, only 10 companies. Mm. And I would have expected to see some in there that I hadn't heard before, but we're going to go through go through them and a lot of them we have. Um, and we've already spoken about their uh, focus on long-term compounders, being business owners, that sort of Buffett mentality, uh, not worrying about trying to reduce the short-term volatility of markets yeah, and play and, the short game. And they think that current valuations for a number of their positions will, quote, prove to be silly over time. <laughs> so, you know, they think that the market may, is, may have overreacted. The point of their letter, the thing that really shone through for me and that we're going to talk about with a lot of these companies is – the position of the these growth stocks today relative to where they were at the start of COVID. Because all of them had an incredible run from like during COVID. You know, we saw that with growth stocks. But it's interesting to compare them pre-COVID to now, what their share price is and then what their business metrics are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's start with one, Ren, that um I'm a shareholder of, not that's sure. That's going to fall you. 10% a day for the rest that's of time. Falling 10% <laughs> a day for the rest of time. Spotify, Spotify. ticker SPOT. What's the deal? The Spotify stock price today is below its January 20 stock price. In January 2020, it was trading at 152 a share. Mm-hmm. What's it at today? Oh, less than that. 94 yeah. a share. So meaningfully less than where it was in January 2020. But here's a look at the business metrics. January 2020, 271 million users, 6.1 billion in revenue. Today, 471 million users, up 74%, and 13.7 billion in revenue, 2.2 times where they were in January 2020. I guess what they're saying is the share price today is lower than it was in January 2020, but the business is so much stronger. Mm. There are two conclusions that you can draw from that. The first one that they're drawing is that the stock's undervalued today. The second one, which you could also draw, is the stock was overvalued in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, it's pretty fascinating. Focusing on the fundamentals, they are. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, um, I'm I I like to see it. It's come down a lot. It was up at 350 at one stage. 
seriously yeah. come down. Anyway. I mean, that's that's going to be a recurring theme. Yeah. So yeah. we haven't found a way to publish this data yet. We pulled out a bunch of data from our listener survey and a really interesting finding was we broke down where people listen to podcasts and broke it down by age group. Spotify's market share grows as you get younger in every age group. So, you know, 60 and over, it was about a third listened on Spotify and then as you went down each age bracket, Spotify's Spotify's share, share got bigger. Yeah. And I was speaking to my housemate about it. I was like, it's really interesting. And I think one of the things is Spotify is just so entrenched in like TikTok culture and stuff mm. like that. If you find no, like an artist on TikTok, they're never like, here's my SoundCloud. Yeah. It's always, here's my Spotify. Yeah. Even like, you know, independent, up and coming artists. Not like, even here's my Apple Music. No, it's yeah. always, what's your Spotify? Is this yeah. on Spotify? We need it on Spotify. I don't know if it's going to be a good investment, but I, I find that really interesting just how entrenched Spotify is with younger users. Mm. And we know how important younger users are in the music industry. Mm. Yeah. yeah, well, we've certainly had some pretty bullish experts come on to chat about Spotify over the past couple of years. Surely so. it gets acquired. Yeah. Like if I was Apple, I'd be like, sack Get Apple Music. <laughs> like just integrate that into Spotify Buy Spotify. That'd be huge. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. So the second uh, big name is Meta, ticker FB, formerly known as Facebook. Similar story, Ren, trading at its pre-COVID levels despite growing earnings per share and operating profits by two times and growing cash flow by 60% over the last two years. To put some numbers to it, users in twenty January 2020 pre-COVID, $2.89 billion. Uh, end of last year, users three point five nine billion, an increase of twenty four percent. Sales up from seventy billion to one hundred and eighteen billion, so that's a sixty seven percent increase in sales, uh, and they've increased cash flow by sixty percent as well. So, some great fundamental growth there for Spotify. Again, had a pretty significant run up. You mean Meta? Uh, sorry, Meta had a pretty significant run up and is now off about 40% from its highs in late uh, 2021. They're very much long-term believers um, of uh, of what Meta are doing. Uh, we know, Ren, you and I have a bit of a debate here as to the direction and uh, long-term performance of Meta. Time will only tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, like looking at those numbers, so users are up 24%, revenue per user is up 32%. And that obviously flows through to total revenue being up 67%. I mean, that's a good story. The meta story is not about its social platforms. Like if you're investing in meta today, yeah, you believe You're in, buying in the metaverse. You believe in where they're investing a lot of their money. Yeah. So next one, Trade Desk. Yes. I feel like we've had a few experts. I think um, when we're doing a lot more video, there were a few experts that spoke to us about this. Yeah. Trade Desk, I mean, similar story. This story is going to get pretty old as we keep telling it, but that's really the point of this letter. And it's just a really interesting thing to look at the stock price compared to the business. So Trade Desk, from, from the start of COVID, it ran up almost 300%. And then it's fallen back about 40% from there. Its price to sales got to 41 times. Jeez. I mean, that's getting over your skis. So it's now it's you know now it's still trading at 20 times price to sales which is still high compared to the historic average but looking at the company so pre covid 661 million in sales and 60 million in free cash flow now 13.7 billion in sales and 380 million in free cash flow mm. 
Same story. Same story. Massive. Although their share price is actually up from where they started COVID. Yeah, so they haven't yeah. fallen down as much as some of the others. Down from peak, but certainly up from pre-COVID. Yeah. Uh, so those are the current positions. It, they did add new positions. Uh, so one of which was DocuSign. The ticker is D-O-C-U. Uh, most of us would have used DocuSign throughout the COVID period. It, it allows you to do electronic electronic signing of documents. Now, um, it's given up all of its post-COVID gains despite doubling its customers and more than doubling revenues, gross profits and growing cash flows by 4.5% since 2020. Controversial. I'm not so sure about this one, Ren. I'm not a lawyer. Like, we use DocuSign. (laughs) I I don't know. Like... I have no idea. Yeah, I just think more and more people are going back into the offices and I, I, I just... It's still... Is it not still easier to just digitally sign something though? You don't have to print? Yeah. I'm just saying, I don't know if the it, they, they'll, they'll sustain this going forward. Yeah, I guess my big question is around the... Um, if everyone just gets like free digital signatures from Apple or Adobe and stuff like that. Yeah, that's what... Well, yeah, exactly. I, I, I actually use Adobe over DocuSign. Anyway, so like I have no idea. Um does it also depend on what the law is, like what you're allowed to digitally sign? Because I vaguely have a idea that our lawyers were telling us that during COVID, a bunch more stuff was allowed to be signed digitally, but that's going to go back. But it hasn't. So Do you know that? Yeah, well, we spoke to the lawyers the other day and they're like, it was all good, all good on the digital DocuSign front. But I think that... Yeah, anyway, this is just like two incredibly yeah. uninformed people. Anyway, yeah. But I think that, that that would be my big question about DocuSign. It's like what can it be used for going forward and then are there free alternatives? Like I could very much see Apple just saying, if you use an Apple product, here's a free digital signature tool for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, another two that they've added that we'll talk about briefly because they've been spoken about a lot in financial media, but Shopify. Shopify has been punished. It's only now slightly above where it was pre-pandemic despite its business growing 3x in that time and cash flow growing 7x in that time. That's wow. not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons why people are a little bit reluctant around Shopify at the moment. Shopify is very tied in with Facebook advertising. A lot of smaller Shopify users have relied on Facebook advertising to target customers. And because of Apple's iOS changes, Facebook's targeting isn't as effective, which people are worried about what the effects for Shopify will be on that. And then also just generally, you know, reopening, people moving back from online to offline retail. Full disclosure, I own Shopify. I've ridden it down two-thirds as it's fallen. (laughs) But also, did you see the Shopify CEO on Twitter? But he was basically saying, he was asking, does anyone keep a record of analysts, not expectations, analyst forecasts? Was basically insinuating that, you know, if a CEO misses, well, not insinuating, he said, like, if a CEO misses, we get punished. But if an analyst misses, yeah, nothing fine. happens. Yeah. And so he's obviously not too happy with the investment community yeah. at the moment. Fair call, fair call. <laughs> Then to close out new positions, uh, they got in on Netflix. Um, Similar story. At the time they bought the stock, it had reverted sort of back to similar pre-COVID levels despite growing um, profits by three times and earnings per share by three and a half. Now, they do call out... (laughs) They have been whacked since Yeah, they (laughs) do call out that they bought the stock at $360 a share. At the time of recording, it's currently...
currently trading at 173. Oh. So they've lost um, over half of their value. Um, it would be interesting to get an update from the guys on uh, what they're currently thinking. I did, I did reach out to them. I sent them an email. Um, oh, nice. To see if they'd be interested in coming on. Yeah, brutal. But brutal. I mean- that's the story. I reckon actually if we look at Shopify, it's probably done something similar. So they bought when it was around 600 and it's now 340. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So that 28% uh, down for the quarter is probably looking a lot more for this coming quarter yeah, for yeah, old yeah. Rowan Street. We could actually probably do that for all these companies. But, Doc, um, DocuSign? But Doc, let's, keep, let's keep moving DocuSign they bought at 100 and it's now at 68. Yeah, story of uh, everyone's life at the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but if look, if um, if they're long-term capital compounders and they're pretty confident that these companies were a buy at those prices, then I can un- I could probably guess what their answer is going to be if we ask them how they're feeling about these companies now. Yeah, so. and I think the as again as retail investors, we don't have mandates to deploy all of our capital and be fully invested. We can be tactical about how we invest and how much we invest. And for me, this is a story of why dollar cost averaging into a position makes a lot of sense. Unless you're really confident that the price you're paying at today is the best price you're going to get it at for a while, there is nothing wrong with putting a little bit in, waiting, putting a little bit more in and building up a position slowly. All right, Ren, well, to close out, it's worth chatting about some of the companies that they've sold as well, just uh, equally as important as to understanding what they've bought. They had a couple of Chinese positions, Alibaba and Tencent both of which they exited mm. um, and... Uh, both of which haven't done too well. Tencent down 25% year to date. Yeah. Alibaba, do you want to make a guess while I look it up? For, for 35. 25% as well. Nice. Second was Zillow. So they've owned that stock since 2019. They sold the entire position because their business model, uh, they believe, materially changed and, and the vision for the company was was changed as well. And I guess that broke had broke their thesis in the original reason that they bought into the company. So they sold down all of their position in Zillow and then Lyft, Uber's competitor, LYFT is the ticker. They sold down those positions after realizing a gain of approximately 50% to use the proceeds to essentially reinvest back in companies that are a better opportunity. Something that I often uh, forget about, but should remind myself to think about more is is uh, of the investments I've got in there at the moment, uh, could I be doing better elsewhere? Mm. So um, a good good reminder for me. Do you reckon Lyft will ever come to Australia? Mm, not sure. Probably not. It's weird that it hasn't. Anyway, Ren, it's always great to unpack these letters. We will endeavour to do our best to A, provide the links in the show notes and B, see if we can get some of it up on our website because they're absolutely fascinating. Uh, but if you're interested to take a look outside of those two areas, head to... Um, Reddit, which is where we yeah. find them, and it's uh, stock analysis, security analysis, security analysis. Yeah. Sorry, is the is the um, subreddit. So there's always uh, a thread with um, many of these investor letters uh, uploaded. So I think closing thoughts. We should just remind everyone that these are the starting points for race for our research. They're not the end point, but a really interesting look at six companies that we probably didn't know a lot about, and then six companies we've heard way too much about. But just a really interesting look at scratching the surface of all of the investment opportunities out there. And right now, as we see a sea of red in our portfolios, we need to remind ourselves that it's not a scary moment. It's an exciting and opportune moment. 
That's it, Ren. Um, yeah, it's it's always a, a great reminder. Hard to act on sometimes, but and I can empathise with a lot of the investors out there who are feeling overwhelmed and like, what the hell's going on? But, you know, we can only learn from these opportunities. So it's always great to chat stocks with you, Ren. Make sure uh, you're signing up to FinFest as well, equitymates.com slash FinFest. We'll have some news about that shortly. But otherwise, uh, we'll be back next week yeah hopefully the market's recovered by finfest otherwise attendance may be low (laughs) no no (laughs) otherwise we just do straight music festival (laughs) speak next week equity mates investing podcast is a product of equity mates media all information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only it is not intended as a substitute for professional finance legal or tax advice The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.